go to the men's races, you look at it six, seven hours on the bike. They'll race for the first hour, then they fuck along for hours until the sprint. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 27 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist will stare at their new bike for hours on end. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's ripping into the men. Hi there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And I want to get started this week with two reviews from iTunes. They're coming from GB. First one, great cycling podcast from Nick Ladd. The host is extremely enthusiastic about all things cycling, and this comes across in every episode. I always look forward to the next podcast, and it has made me a better cyclist. Keep it up. Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. The second one, great stuff. Hi, just wanted to say I'm an okay cyclist, but I'm going to try racing crits this year and it's all your fault. I'm 41. Great podcast. I love your fun outlook. I'm addicted. Freddie. Freddie, I'm pumped for you, man. I am absolutely pumped for you. There is nothing, in my opinion, better than the thrill of racing. Get in touch with me. Crits are one of my specialities. I would love to talk tactics or training or whatever to get your first season happening. So just email me or get me on Twitter. The details are in the show notes. Do it, do it, do it. And if you want to show your appreciation for the show, a review is all I need. Thank you very much. So straight into pro cycling news this week, Bobridge, he bombed out of the Australian Nationals, but during the week he opened up about his battle with rheumatoid arthritis. He said that he's been having symptoms like aching knees, feet and ankles, and in 2009-2010 he was diagnosed with the chronic condition. Quote is saying, training was nearly unbearable and I was consistently sleeping because my body was so worn out. He does get treated weekly with a powerful drug called methotrexate mexotrexate. Ah, I don't even know how to say it, but it's also used to treat cancer patients. Bobridge is not only able to live a normal life, but that of an elite cyclist. And he's quoted here that it will get worse over time, but very slowly. It's manageable and it doesn't get in the way of my training or racing with medication. So what is his reason for his lack of form last year? Well, he he did race the Olympics. He did have a minor slump when it comes to the road stuff. He's changed teams. Let's see what he can do this year. He didn't start off the best way, but maybe he's going to build up and he's going to have a good year somewhere else. Fingers crossed for the bloke. And I know last week I brought up the new team kits. It's always an exciting time of year for me because I'm a big fan of dressing smart. And my favorite pro team kit for this year, Movie Star. Surprised me too. They dropped all their colors. They just have some logos. What's your favorite of 2013? Let me know on Twitter. I'd love to hear where your style preferences lie when it comes to pro cycling. Now, we can move on to some race results, which last week I was talking about the Aussie champs. And if you caught it, you would have seen an amazing ride by Luke Durbridge. This guy, 21 years old, absolute pure class. And my prediction, Michael Matthews winning the bunch sprint for second. Red hot, fellas. It was a pretty amazing race. I didn't get to catch it live, but I have seen snippets of 
Turbo Durbos, super crazy break from basically kilometer one. We're moving now into the Tour Down Under, which starts next Tuesday, so not many days away. Schleck is going to be there. Pretty cool, I reckon. I think the Praying Manus will sneak a hit out somewhere in the race. Here he is, though, talking about his comeback in 2013 and what is keeping him motivated. One thing is for sure, I want to show everybody that I'm still there, that I'm still, uh, I'm still a good driver. And I want to be in a race again and make a, make a difference and decide when to attack and how to attack and how to maybe you know, win the race. Um, I have a, a lot of motivation for... I mean, it's not like the team tells you uh, that, uh, that race. I said, just give me, you know, all the races. I, mean, I have a really, really busy program till, uh, till basically the tour. With a lot of races and that, that comes also from my side because I want... Every race, every race you enter, you want to, to do your best and I know I can do good. I know that maybe the first races won't be the one. Maybe it'd still be hard, you know, to get in because I miss I miss a lot of months of, of racing. But what keeps me going is that I want to win races and want to be in front again. I've been a professional cyclist since 2006. I took a quick rise to the top. I made it to the Garmin professional cycling team. I didn't realize everything I had had. I was one of, say, 16, 17 Americans living and racing in Europe, and I had this amazing gift, and then all of a sudden, I didn't have it anymore. One of my biggest concerns the entire time is the fact that we trained on the open roads and that we're vulnerable to traffic, we're vulnerable to people not paying attention in their cars. So I've been hit three different times in my professional career. This is Lucas Yusa, and by 2008, he'd made it to the Pro Tour with Garmin Slipstream. Uh, a car approached the, my left side, and, and I guess it didn't see me, and decided to just turn right in front of me, and I T-boned it about 35 miles an hour. I felt like it was Wile E. Coyote swinging into a brick wall, because I just stopped like that. That year, he was struck by a car in a near-fatal accident in Girona, Spain, while training. So here's my new kneecap. It, uh, it's where they, here's a small incision, and they put two screws in there to hold it together as well as some wiring. Now, not to be too much of a downer, but this is the reality of riding on the road. Cars always win. You know, <laughs> they still drive away, and, and, you know, the body can't do that much damage to a car, so... You know, the, the risks are, are really apparent, and um, you just have to kind of accept that. But there's, there's a lot in our control that we can do to prevent it and, and stay safe. It usually takes two to, to cause an accident, so. So this week, I'm going to bring you a new perspective on road safety and five ways to increase your safety while you're out riding on the road. I'd normally shrug my shoulders at this one. Maybe it's because I'm getting older and more responsible, whatever it is. One thing is definitely clear that since the end of last year's pro road season, there's been many training accidents and too many deaths. So I'm here to give you 
some of my thoughts on staying safe on the road and if I can give you one bit of advice that you didn't know before, then I'm a happy man because it could make the difference one day. Okay, so here's my stance. It's based on two elements, patterns and control, which Stephen Covey would call your circle of influence. Patterns to me are like the unwritten rules of the game and the habits of the players. I believe that if you expand your view broad enough that you'll eventually see common elements linking these two things together, enough to get a snapshot of how to operate in the same situation. That's a little abstract. So let me give you an example. Shinjuku Station in Tokyo is used by over 3 million people per day. And at first, it looks just like a random swarm of people moving about their business in no particular way. And I went there in 2008. And when I entered the station, I tried to make my way to the train platform. At first, I went slow. I was actively trying to dodge people and... This is what I was used to, so this is my approach to it, but I found that I kept bumping into people, and so I just slowly started to pick up the pace a little bit, and the funny thing was, as soon as I started doing that, I started hitting less people, and then I picked up the pace some more, I looked a little further down the concourse instead of straight in front of me, and I didn't run into anyone. The style that I adopted at the end was in total contrast to beginning. It was in total contrast into what I thought and what came naturally, which blew my mind because it wasn't until I figured out the unwritten rules, like you don't touch anybody, or the habits of the players, like no sudden movements, that it all started to work. Okay, I know what you're thinking, and I know that you're thinking this has nothing to do with cycling. Well, the example doesn't, but the idea behind it does, because the same rules apply to riding a bike, and especially if you're talking about riding in a new place. While there are definitely differences between countries, cities and regions can also vary. So if you don't ride in different countries very often, you will definitely change cities and regions enough to notice a difference. Where I live, it's common for cars to drive in the middle of the road. They merge without looking onto oncoming traffic. Cars also honk when passing a car and don't stop at traffic lights. So when I first moved here, it seemed chaotic and unorganized and probably officially it is, but there are also patterns at play. And once I started to understand these, I could better anticipate the actions of the drivers and the pedestrians and any other people that were out on the road. Now, I want to talk about what happens outside of these patterns because this is the place where I bring in the circle of influence which is the elements that are in my control. Everything outside of the pattern cannot be planned for. It's basically just a waste of mental energy. You're a worry wart and it's going to lead to probably more trouble. Once I thought of it like this, it was quite liberating because it was a complete mindset shift and it resulted in a lot more freedom to think about more important things like what I can control as a bike rider. Yeah, certainly bike riders, myself included, I'm not exempt from this, uh, you know, might do some stupid things, bending the rules of the road, you know, rolling some stop signs or running through a red light when you can look around and see there's no cars and you know, that's certainly easier, arguably safer on a bike, but it's still against the rules and you're, you're just asking for an accident. Timmy Duggan explains it well here, but there seems to be a whole bunch of vigilante riders coming out of their holes in the ground. And I've got to warn you here, this is a straight up rant because some cyclists have become so entitled 
it seems to have correlated with the release of GoPro cameras, but I do believe there's a fine line between expressing your rights and being in a dangerous situation. Don't put yourself in a compromised position just to prove a point. It's useless, and you're going to give other cyclists a bad name. If you're from a developed country, come and try that shit in a developing country because I promise you it won't fly and you will probably end up dead. You've got to know your place on the road, express your rights when the time is right, but don't ruin it for everyone else. If you go through a red light today, it could be you that gets hit by the pissed off car driver having a bad day tomorrow. And this is my message to the tools on YouTube. Leave the GoPro at home. It's not going to protect you when a car is merging and you hit the deck on purpose just to prove a fucking point. All right. End rant. But following that theme, here are five things that are in your control while you're riding on the road. These are gleaned from my motorbike riding days and they cross over really well because... If you think bikes have it rough, jump on a motorbike and go and play with the traffic. We can at least stay out of the way and have bike paths to get away from cars entirely. So, number one, cover your brakes. The time it takes for you to get your hands onto your brakes and to pull those levers could be the difference between stopping in time and not. Now, I don't have any concrete figures when it comes to this, but if you think about it more in terms of meters on the road than time than it takes to do this, At a fast speed, you could be talking 5, 10 metres on the road. So 5 and 10 metres on a road definitely could make the difference if there was an emergency situation where you had to pull up. So when are you covering your brakes? You're covering your brakes whenever you're coming into situations like intersections, roundabouts, whenever you see something dicey ahead that you're not sure how the person is going to react to the situation, just having your fingers ready to go is going to make a massive difference to your pulling up time. Number two, ride in the vision of cars. Always make sure that a car knows you're there. Now, that's not by being a wanker and tapping on the car or flashing your headlight into the mirror, although I have done that in the past to get attention. Just don't ride in blind spots. Find the driver's face in the mirror. So at least if they're going to look into mirrors, they're going to see you. And don't rely on head checks, so sitting in blind spots is not the smartest thing to do. Number three, choose a part of the road that is free from debris or at least be aware of the surface and adjust your speed accordingly. This again is about braking. It's about being in the best position if the shit does go down. I ride next to the white line if the shoulder's dirty But I know you can't do that in peak hour, so you've just got to cop it, unfortunately. But as soon as you're there, you just have to be aware that the braking surface is not as good as if you're on a clean bit of bitumen. So therefore, adjusting your speed, perhaps, or just being aware that at any time, it's going to be better to lock up more rear brake than front brake. If it comes down to it, the perfect place to ride is probably in the wheel well, you know, versus the center of the road where there's oils and things. I would ride in the wheel well if I had a choice over any shoulder on any given day. Number four, practice scanning the road. So practice getting a feel for looking up and anticipating potential movements from the players in the game. This comes back to how well you understand the pattern in the first place. So getting a good grasp of how the players and the habits of the players and the unwritten rules of the game works before you even get onto the road is going to be a good start. And this can be even just if you're on transport in a car somewhere, just looking and trying to understand. If you're a driver, it's easy. 
well, it's easier because you're going to start in this game straight away. But if you're a passenger, just be aware of what's happening around you and that's going to give you the best possible chance to survive when you're just starting out. You will get better and better over time though. And one tip, if you ride a brakeless fixie, you're really going to hone this skill because you have to look so far ahead because your stopping time is, I don't know, double, triple, quadrupled. It takes a lot longer to stop when you're on a fixie with no brakes. And so, it really hones in this sixth sense. And number five is confidence. You gotta back yourself. You gotta back yourself to take the gap when you instinctively go for it. You cannot wait in certain situations. Waiting just means trouble. So as soon as you half guess yourself, you've given yourself half a second, a second more, or a second less to make a move that could have been in and out and done, no problems. The same thing could be said like in crit racing, taking a gap or whatever. It only becomes dangerous when you're second-guessing yourself and you may swerve or you back out or you do something that compromises your position on the road in relation to the people around you. So this is one that's going to take some time, but definitely the more you do it, the more you get confident and the more that you'll be able to hit those gaps and avoid trouble completely. I've got a bonus tip for you here and it's something that You just don't think about when you're on a bike versus a motorbike because you just don't have the acceleration to get away. But practice emergency braking and quickly restarting. So stopping quickly is a bit of an art form. It is the forgotten element when it comes to riding on the road because it doesn't really happen that often. But you've also got to think about what's happening behind you if you do have to slam on the brakes quickly. You are most likely going to stop quicker than a car. Well, depending on the car, but on average, I would say you're going to be able to stop quicker than a car. And in any case, though, getting a wriggle on straight away is another part of the emergency stopping plan that you've got to take into consideration. So a quick head check just before you completely stop or as you're stopping is going to help you avoid getting slammed from the rear. So getting slammed from behind is going to be another hazard which you just often don't think about. And so having a strategy for linking heavy braking to head checks is going to be the best way to get around this. So wrapping up, basically all I'm saying is here, you've got to understand the environment that you're riding in. You've got to understand the people that are on the road. You've got to understand drivers. You've got to understand the rules that are different, that are going to be different to where you ride. I would probably even start with where you are. You probably you know this instinctively if you've been riding in one place for a long time. You know what happens when a light goes red. But the thing is, you can't take these things for granted when you step into a new place. A crazy thing about rules and different countries is I'm used to places where, well, I come from places where zebra crossings on the road, a car has to stop. Then I move to places where a car is not obliged to stop and it's on you to avoid the cars. Going back to somewhere where the cars stop again, it's hard to adjust to. And you probably got hundreds of these cues that you are doing every single time you ride that you don't even realize. So by then figuring out the big picture and then looking at what you can change within that picture, which is the things that I've mentioned here, I do believe that outside of freak accidents or just plain chance that you're going to be better off and have a better chance of surviving the road. Now, let's move to the tech hacks and products section. And this is a cheeky little leg shaving hack. It's 
not going to seem like much at first, but I do think it's going to save you. Okay, so shave with your razor to your normal hairy boxer line. I don't know about you, but I don't shave all the way up. I find that if I use a razor all the way up to the top of my hip, then it's going to get red and irritated. The hair seems to be thicker or something. I have no idea what it is, but I always end up with this funky little rash and ingrowns. So I use a pair of clippers with just the blade, no cover on it for the rest of it. Now, this still leaves the pores full, but it leaves it empty enough so that it at least looks like the rest of it, but it's not. It sounds simple, but trust me, it will save you ingrowns, itching, other weird red sore spots, and potentially your love life. Let's get to that quote from the top of the show. Do you have a look at what Richie's doing and have a look at what you're doing and, and the work you're putting in the work Richie's and, and you obviously know, you know, the sort of the sort of dollars that Richie might be earning compared to you. Does there any resentment about that? You can't really look at it that way because female and male professional cyclists do completely different sports. Too many people try to compare them to make them saying women's cycling should be the same as men's, we should have all races together, but you have to respect it for what it is. Female cycling is its own sport in its own right, you know. Our races are completely different. The shorter races, they're usually not more exciting because we race from start to finish. You know, the men's races, you look at six, seven hours on the bike, they'll race from the first hour, then they fluff along for hours until the sprint. You know, we have to accept it for what it is. Yeah. I can take a lot out of his training because, you know, he helps me a lot with my training. I can push myself when I go with them. I can take tips, for example, you know, we're training for a tour or something like that. I can see some of the things that he does in his training and put into mine, alter it a little bit for what I need it for. So, you know, you can look at it both that way, but dollar point, you can't look at it. It's just, you know, women's cycling is growing all the time. It's a much younger sport than male cycling. And, yeah, like I said, we just have to respect for what it is and one day maybe we'll make big bucks, but now we just have to deal with what we have. It's Tiffany Cromwell from Orica Green Edge, her ex, Richie Port, says... She's a good girl. And I also think she's a great gal. I think she's a great character for the sport. Plenty of fire in that belly. Good luck this year, Tiffany. Go give them hell in Europe. And that's it. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. Hi, I'm Carl Menzies. You ever hear the phrase, use it or lose it? If you have arthritis, think about your ability to move. If you don't keep moving, stay strong and keep yourself stretched out, you could end up with more pain and stiffness and lose your ability to live an active, healthy life. If I have arthritis, why do I need to exercise? If you suffer from arthritis, the worst thing you can do is stop moving. Exercise in general is good for you. Exercise can reduce joint pain and stiffness. Exercise can also help you keep strong and flexible. What kind of exercise works best? Range of motion exercise can help maintain normal joint movement and relieve stiffness. Strengthening exercises, such as weight training, help maintain or increase muscle mass, which supports and protects the joints. Aerobics or endurance activities, such as bike riding, improve cardiovascular fitness and help control weight. Maintaining a healthy weight is important because extra weight places additional pressure on joints. Many fitness clubs and community centres offer exercise programs for people with arthritis. As always, consult your doctor before beginning a fitness routine. I'm Carl Menzies for Healthy Life Cycles, powered by United Healthcare. And remember, the path to health and wellness starts with you. <laughs>